section forty six of final report of the advisory committee on human radiation experiments this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. final report of the advisory committee on human radiation experiments case studies chapter nine part one prisoners a captive research population in july nineteen forty nine a medical advisory panel met in washington d c to discuss psychological problems posed by radiation to crews of a then-planned nuclear-powered airplane during the meeting an air force colonel noted that crewmen were concerned about anything physically harmful but especially anything seen as a threat to what he delicately called using a euphemism of that gentler era the family jewels the nuclear-powered airplane was never built, but concern about radiation hazards to testicular function in spaceflight, weapons plants, nuclear power plants, and on an atomic battlefield remained. This concern provides some of the context for a brace of almost identical experiments carried out between 1963 and 1973, in which 131 prisoners in Oregon and Washington submitted to experimental testicular irradiations with national security and other societal goals, but no potential for therapeutic benefit for the subjects. The studies were directed by Carl G. Heller, M.D., a leading endocrinologist of his day and by Dr. Heller's protege, C. Alvin Paulson, M.D. Perhaps because they involved irradiation of the testicles, they have caused great public concern. They were also noted briefly among the 31 experiments Representative Edward J. Markey of Massachusetts publicized in his 1986 report on radiation research on human subjects. Both studies were funded solely by the Atomic Energy Commission doctors heller and paulson were interested in the effects of radiation on the male reproductive system especially the production of sperm cells the government was interested in the effects of ionizing radiation on workers astronauts and other americans who might be exposed in a nuclear attack for example both doctors viewed prisoners as ideal subjects they were healthy adult males who were not going anywhere soon in 1963, few, if any, researchers had moral qualms about using them as subjects, although there seems to have been a consensus in the research community on the rules that should govern such experimentation. By 1973, however, some ethicists, researchers, and others, such as the investigative journalist Jessica Mitford, pointed out that incarcerated people were not well-placed to make voluntary decisions in nineteen seventy six the national commission for the protection of human subjects of biomedical and behavioral research recommended the banning of almost all research on prisoners prison experimentation effectively came to an end in this country a few years after the commission offered its recommendations the heller and paulson experiments were groundbreaking scientifically and they were conceived as having an important government purpose protecting Americans engaged in building the nation's high-priority nuclear and space programs. But looking back through the lens of history, there appears to be an inconsistency between the way human subjects were treated in this research and the standards intended to govern their treatment. Although both Dr. Heller and Dr. Paulson showed sensitivity to some ethical issues, 
in both cases the researchers themselves and some of those charged with oversight at both the federal and state levels did not completely live up to what appear to have been well understood standards applicable to their research in this failure they were no different from many if not most of their contemporaries times were changing however and in the end state officials shut down both sets of experiments bringing practice more into line with the standards already on the books of some government agencies and private research organizations among researchers who used prisoners as subjects as early as nineteen fifty eight the nuremberg code was recognized as a model set of rules for conducting human subject research it is equally clear that the work in the oregon and washington prisons did not carefully follow all these rules moreover the funding agency the atomic energy commission had its own rules for the conduct of research with human volunteers which were not fully observed in these experiments as discussed in chapter one in nineteen fifty six the aec's isotope division program provided that where healthy subjects were used for research they needed to be volunteers to whom the intent of the study and the effects of radiation have been outlined a nineteen sixty six memorandum from the aec's office of general counsel to the director of the division of biology and medicine sheds some light on the agency's standards at that time and why it had them the specific experiments referred to in the memo plutonium and promethium injections or ingestion appear not to have been carried out but the use of human volunteers in experiments is addressed in general terms the memo calls for volunteers to sign a written witnessed agreement attesting to their sound mental state and free will to their understanding of the purposes and risks of the planned experimentation and that the experiment was not being done for their benefit the relevant paragraph concludes assuming complete understanding and no unequal bargaining factors e g pressure on prisoners to submit such an agreement would protect against liability for unauthorized invasion of the person finally those attending a nineteen sixty two conference on research using prisoners as subjects reached a consensus on a higher standard for subject selection and informed consent than was typically observed in oregon and washington for example the conferees argued that potential prisoner subjects should have enough information to avoid their being deceived and that inducements to prisoners should not be so high as to invalidate consent the surviving researchers disagree somewhat about the genesis of the testicular irradiation experiments which the available documentary evidence does not completely resolve what follows is a version based on and consistent with both the heller and paulson accounts early in nineteen sixty three the aec held a conference in fort collins colorado for investigators who were using radiation in studies of reproduction in animals dr heller was invited in a bedside deposition taken after he suffered a stroke in nineteen seventy six he recounted what happened the whole conference finally focused on man a given group at fort collins was working on mice and another group was working on bulls and then they concluded what would happen to man they extrapolated the data from bulls or mice to man i commented one day to dr paul henshaw who was then with the aec that 
if they were so interested in whether it was happening to man why were they fussing around with mice and beagle dogs and canaries and so on if they wanted to know about man why not work on man according to dr heller that remark stimulated the aec to solicit a research proposal from him to study the effects of radiation on the male reproductive system dr paulson however recalled a different scenario in a nineteen ninety four interview by committee staff at his office in seattle he said he was invited to the aec's hanford washington facility in nineteen sixty two to act as a consultant after three workers were accidentally exposed to radiation like dr heller dr paulson had no previous experience with radiation exposure he said he was brought in because of a chapter he had written on the testes in an endocrinology text as a result of that experience dr paulson said he became interested in doing work on the effects of radiation on testicular function discussed his idea with colleagues and contacted the aec to see if the agency would be interested in funding his work whether or not doctors heller and paulson initiated their projects separately the practical result was that both received aec funding and carried out their research projects during the nineteen sixties and early nineteen seventies in the oregon and washington state prisons respectively although the two studies were very much alike in their methods and objectives there were small differences they used different consent forms different levels and means of irradiation and different subject selection procedures this chapter provides accounts of the washington and oregon experiments that focus on the failure of these two research projects to live up fully to ethical standards of their time the committee's analysis of the risk to subjects in the two experiments capsule descriptions of a number of other radiation experiments using prisoners as subjects and a general ethical analysis of radiation experiments using prisoners as subjects the oregon and washington experiments oregon in nineteen sixty three carl heller was an internationally renowned medical scientist a winner of the important seba prize in the field of endocrinology he was a pre-eminent researcher so it is not surprising that when the aec decided to fund work on how radiation affects the male reproductive function they would turn to him he designed a study to test the effects of radiation on the somatic and germinal cells of the testes the doses of radiation that would produce changes or induce damages in spermatogenic cells the amount of time it would take for cell production to recover and the effects of radiation on hormone excretion to accomplish this he had a machine designed and built that would give a carefully calibrated uniform dose of radiation from two sides the subject lay face down with his scrotum in a small plastic box filled with warm water to encourage the testes to descend on either side of the box were a matched set of x-ray tubes the alignment of the x-ray beams could be checked through a system of peepholes and mirrors subjects were required to agree to be vasectomized because of a perceived small risk of chromosomal damage that could lead to their fathering genetically damaged children to carry out this work dr heller was to receive grants totaling one point one two million over ten years mavis rowley dr heller's former laboratory assistant 
who was interviewed by advisory committee staff in 1994, said that the AEC was looking for a mechanism to measure the effect of ionizing radiation on the human body. She said testicular irradiation was promising because the testes have a cell cycle and physiology which allows you to make objective measurements of dosimetry and effect without having to expose the whole body to radiation. Although official documentation is fragmentary, it is clear from other evidence, such as interviews and contemporary newspaper articles, that the concerns cited above worker exposures potential exposures of the general population as a result of accidents or bomb blasts and exposures of astronauts in space were of interest to the aec in the case of the astronauts the national aeronautics and space administration has been able to find no evidence of direct involvement in dr heller's project yet ms rowley remembers with clarity that nasa representatives even astronauts themselves attended meetings with their research team in her nineteen ninety four interview she said nasa was also very interested in this there was a section of activity which was devoted to what effect would the sun flares and so forth which give out significant radiation have on the astronauts and so there were meetings that went on which actually included some of the astronauts attending them Raleigh explained that the astronauts were concerned that reduced testosterone production might make them lose muscle function, which could compromise their mission. But, belying the comment of the colonel in the 1949 nuclear-powered airplane meeting, who said that crewmen were concerned about anything physically harmful, she said they seemed altogether unconcerned about their own health. During his 1976 deposition, Dr. Heller remarked, what we would like to supply the medical community with is what happens when you give continual, very small doses, such as might be given to an astronaut. Moreover, in 1965, Dr. Heller served as a consultant to a space radiation panel of the National Academy of Sciences National Research Council. And finally, Harold Bibeau, an Oregon subject, recalls that Dr. Heller told him, when he signed up for the program, that NASA was interested in the results. At the time the Oregon experiment got underway, using prisoners as research subjects was an accepted practice in the United States. And in this particular study, Oregon law was interpreted by state officials as permitting an inmate to give his consent to a vasectomy, which they appear to have seen as analogous to consenting to becoming an experimental subject. However, important ethical concerns of today, such as balancing risks and benefits, the quality of informed consent, and subject selection criteria, appear, on the whole, not to have been carefully addressed, or not addressed at all, by the investigators or those responsible for oversight. With respect to the health risks associated with the testicular irradiations, there was very little reliable human information at the time about the long-term effects of organ-specific testicular exposure to radiation. Hiroshima and Nagasaki bomb data, however, which of course were not organ-specific, suggested that the likelihood of inducing cancers with the amount of radiation Dr. Heller planned to use was small. By way of comparison, today's standard radiotherapy of the pelvis for prostate cancer, for example, often results in doses to the testicles in the ranges encountered in these experiments. So what did Dr. Heller tell subjects about the chronic risk? The answer appears to have been nothing in the early years, 
and later on perhaps a vague reference to the possibility of tumors but not cancer in a deposition taken in nineteen seventy six a subject named john henry atkinson said he was never told there was a possibility of getting cancer or any kind of tumors as a result of the testicular irradiation experiments other subjects deposed in nineteen seventy six also said they had not been warned of cancer risk and when asked by one subject about the potential for bad effects dr heller was reported to have said one chance in a million when asked in his own deposition what the potential risks were dr heller said the possibility of tumors of the testes in response to the question are you talking about cancer dr heller responded i didn't want to frighten them so i said tumor i may have on occasion said cancer the acute risks of the exposures included skin burns pain from the biopsies orchitis testicular inflammation induced by repeated biopsies and bleeding into the scrotum from the biopsies using consent forms and depositions as a basis for determining what the subjects were told it appears that they were adequately informed about the possibility of skin burns sometimes informed but perhaps inadequately about the possibility of pain informed about the possibility of bleeding only from nineteen seventy on and never informed of the possibility of orchitis as far as the quality of consent is concerned the evidence suggests that many if not most of the subjects might not have appreciated that some small risk of testicular cancer was involved it is also not clear that all subjects understood that there could be significant pain associated with the biopsies and possible long-term effects in selecting subjects dr heller appears to have relied on the prison grapevine to get out the word about a project he apparently believed the atomic energy commission did not want publicized in a nineteen sixty four memorandum he was paraphrased as saying at oregon state penitentiary the existence of the project is practically unknown in a nineteen sixty six letter to the national institutes of health describing the review process at the pacific northwest research foundation a respected freestanding research center dr heller and two colleagues wrote that the inmates are well informed by fellow inmates regarding the general procedures concerned i e collecting seminal samples collecting urines for hormone studies submitting to testicular biopsies receiving medication orally or by injection and having vasectomies if the volunteers were healthy and normal they were accepted for a trial period during which they donated semen samples if all went well in a matter of weeks they were accepted into the radiation program as long as the prison's roman catholic chaplain certified they were not roman catholics because of the church's objection to their providing masturbated semen samples and they could pass what appears to have been a cursory psychological screening designed to ensure they had no underlying objections to the required vasectomy a copy of a form titled psychiatric examination provided by harold bibeau and signed with the initials of the examining psychiatrist w h c for william harold cloyd says in full eleven four sixty four seen for dr heller never married quite vague about the future feels he doesn't want children shouldn't have any i agree no contraindication to sterilization as far as potential health benefits to the subjects were concerned there were none 
and the inmates who volunteered for the research were told so the benefits were in the form of financial incentives a review of application for dr heller's program and depositions of prisoners who sued dr heller various other individuals and the state and federal governments for violation of their rights clearly indicates that money was in most cases the most important consideration in deciding to volunteer in prison industry inmates were typically paid twenty-five cents a day for participating in the heller program they received twenty-five dollars for each testicular biopsy of which most inmates had five or more plus a bonus when they were vasectomized at the end of the program which appears to have been an additional twenty five dollars some inmates indicated that they were grateful for an opportunity to perform a service to society an obvious ethical question is whether the money constituted a coercive offer to prisoners during the course of his study between nineteen sixty three and nineteen seventy three dr heller irradiated sixty seven inmates of the oregon state prison normally three institutes had some oversight responsibility for dr heller's work the oregon department of corrections the atomic energy commission and the pacific northwest research foundation where dr heller was employed practically speaking however it appears that dr heller conducted his research independently as an example of his independence as recounted by ms rowley the aec requested that dr heller begin irradiating subjects at six hundred rad and work upward but he refused and in the end set six hundred rad as an upper limit it is not clear whether dr heller was concerned about risk to the subject's health or other research criteria dr heller was also a member of the committee at pacific northwest research foundation that had responsibility for overseeing his research giving him a voice in the oversight process this committee was authorized under a foundation regulation titled policy and procedures of the pacific northwest research foundation with regard to investigations involving human subjects in a section on ethical policy the document says since nineteen fifty eight the investigators of this foundation have conducted all research under the ethical provisions of the nuremberg code modified to permit consent by parents or legal guardians in january nineteen seventy three in a rapidly changing research ethics environment the oregon irradiations were terminated when amos reed administrator of the corrections division ordered all medical experimentation programs shut down essentially because he concluded that prisoners could not consent freely to participate as subjects it is not known exactly what was behind the timing of reed's decision but according to oregon times magazine he had recently read jessica mitford's article in the atlantic monthly titled experiments behind bars and an article in the portland oregonian headlined medical research provides source of income for prisoners in nineteen seventy six a number of subjects filed lawsuits effectively alleging poorly supervised research and lack of informed consent in their depositions they alleged among other things that prisoners had sometimes controlled the radiation dose to which they were exposed that an inmate with a grudge against a subject filled a syringe with water instead of novocaine resulting in a vasectomy performed without anesthetic and that the experimental procedures resulted in considerable pain and discomfort for which they were not prepared these suits were settled out of court in nineteen seventy nine 
nine plaintiffs shared two thousand two hundred and fifteen dollars in damages for the last twenty years all efforts to put in place a medical follow-up program for the oregon subjects have been unsuccessful dr heller and ms rowley explicitly favored regular medical follow-up during the period between nineteen seventy six and nineteen seventy nine the pending lawsuits might have been the reason for the state's reluctance to initiate a follow-up program but it is less clear why during other periods such efforts have also failed two possible reasons suggested by state officials are the cost of such a program and the difficulty of finding released convicts other possible reasons are that a follow-up program would not provide a significant health benefit to former subjects and that it would not provide significant new scientific knowledge according to tom toombs administrator of the corrections division of the state of oregon at the time of the lawsuits the corrections division wrote to the aec's successor the energy research and development administration in early nineteen seventy six recommending medical follow-up for the subjects mr toombs said there was no record of a response to this request in nineteen ninety james ruttenberg an epidemiologist at the centers for disease control designed a follow-up program for oregon but it has not been implemented in an interview with advisory committee staff dr ruttenberg said state officials told him that oregon does not have sufficient funds to carry out his plan End of section forty six